This is what I believe. I believe that our lives ought to be getting better, not worse. That's pretty good news. They ought to be getting better and better. Sometimes we go through these minor detours where it seems like it's getting worse and worse, but our life, now the world is going to get worse. Don't get me wrong. We should be doing better. We ought to be doing better and better. In the world, Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, right? But what do you say right after that? Be of good cheer. In other words, get happy because I have overcome the world. We ought to be happy people. I mean, that we ought to be happy. We don't need to... Sometimes church is the saddest place you can go. I mean, I've been in churches where nobody ever smiles, where nobody ever talks to each other. And, and the only time they ever talk to each other is when the preacher says, okay, everybody get up and talk to somebody or welcome somebody. It ought to be the happiest place we could... Disneyland should not be the happiest place on earth. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. That's what the scripture says. We ought to be getting happier and happier. We do face trials, but be of good cheer, Jesus said, for I have overcome the world. And so we ought to be happy people because he's overcome the world. We need to understand that the scripture says over and over that we walk by faith. We walk by faith. The purpose of faith isn't for God to give me what I want. The purpose of faith is for me to believe him, to get him what he wants. Amen? That's what faith is about. Our faith should be able to withstand any attack of the devil. By the way, he does want you healed. He does want you delivered and rescued. He wants you in heaven. Our faith, this thing that we have that pleases God, that the only way we're going to please him is with this faith, it, it, needs, it needs to be in us to the degree that we understand that it, we can withstand any attack of the devil. I heard somebody say one time, and this isn't exactly true, they said, if God puts you in it, that means he'll get you through it. Sometimes God didn't put you in it, the devil arranged it for you, but he still will get you through it, just so you know. He didn't create the havoc, but he'll let you walk through it so you can walk through it with him. The scripture says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They beat the crud out of the devil, but they comfort me. We should not fear evil. We're not camping in the valley of death. We walk through it. That's what we're doing when we go through it. We're just going through it. It's not our final destination. It is not where we live. We don't live in the valley of the shadow of death. Faith in God, faith in the Word, doesn't equip us to avoid problems and storms but it does equip us to have victory in them and produce the will of God in our lives. That's what it's all about. So we ought to be happy. If we really believe God, we know we're getting through it. Amen. I like that. I'm preaching to myself that I'm making myself happy. Here's what the scripture says. How about this? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, but we all, now this is talking about 
looking at the word. That's specifically what it's referring to. Gazing into the word. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. That is a fantastic verse. It says, we all with open face beholding as in a glass. Talking about looking at the Word, gazing into the Word, staring at the Word. It says, we all, as we look into it, we look into it at the glory of the Lord. The Word is called the glory of the Lord. It's what it just said. We, We all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. We're beholding the glory of God when we look into the Word. We behold His glory. The glory of the Lord, as we gaze into the Word, we gaze into His glory. Even if we're looking at Leviticus, we're gazing into His glory. We're gazing into the glory of the Lord. And here's the cool thing. As we behold it, as we do that, as we behold the Word, we become the glory we're beholding. Is that what the verse just said? Let me read it to you again, just so you don't think I'm making it up. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, talking about looking at the Word, and are changed into the same image that we're looking at from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. What a promise to grab hold of. We're changed into that glory. As we behold the glory, we're changed into it. The glory is reflected into our lives, and we begin to reflect it, and we come to be seen by others as the glory of the Word we behold. People begin to see us and see the glory of God because of His Word as we gaze into it. Now, this isn't talking about a casual relationship with God where you hear a sermon preached with three passages of Scripture on a Sunday morning. This is talking about gazing into it. This is talking about beholding it, putting it into our lives, and it creates a transformation. It says that we're changed, that we're changed. The Word is the same Word that's in Romans 12 too, that says transformed. We're transformed. That word, it means metamorphosis. It doesn't come in five minutes. It doesn't come all of a sudden. It comes a little at a time when eventually we look back and it seems like it was overnight because we're transformed by gazing into the Word. Isn't that good? That means any of us can do that. Our lives, according to what that just said, should be going from glory to glory. Not from doctor to doctor. (laughs) Not from problem to problem. The scripture talks about faith to faith. Glory to glory. Christians ought to be people who are not like the world. We're not of the world. We're in it, but not of it. Transformed. Our lives should be going from glory to glory. So, it doesn't matter what it looks like. What matters is that we stay with the Word. 
And when we do, it gets better and better. And then the Word does the work and we go from glory to glory. That's what needs to happen. In other words, doesn't matter how old we are, the best is yet to come. Right? The Lord, I remember they looked at the, at the, tip, the, at the temple that they they had been destroyed and people were crying because they remember the old temple and how great it was. And the Lord said, the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former. The glory of your latter life is meant to be greater than the glory of your former life. God intends for it to get better and better. The world system, the system of thinking that contradicts the word is capped and it can only take you so far. I mean, to in the world system, it depends on your background, depends on your education, depends on who you know, depends on lots of things. It is capped and you can only go so far. That's, that's just the way it's made. But the Bible says, Jesus said, they, talking about you and me, are not of the world even as I am not of the world. One translation says it this way. They are not defined by the world, even as I am not defined by the world. The world system doesn't define you unless you let it. It can't define me. It cannot do that. He said, we are no more defined by the world and its system than he is defined by the world and its system. Isn't that fun? Jesus is the most well-known Jewish rabbi in the history of planet Earth. And he never went to rabbi school. (laughs) He wasn't ignorant. He knew the Word better than anybody else because he was the Word. But he wasn't defined by their system. And neither are you. He said, we are not defined by it any more than he is defined by it. They say... It's about your education. I know some people who are educated so far beyond their intelligence that they don't even know what they're talking about anymore. It's not about what you know. It's about knowing. You know, you've got to have some knowledge, but it's about knowing Him. Knowing Him because that's the knowledge we have to have. I mean, He said that we're not defined. We are not capped by their system. Their system doesn't determine how far we get to go. Their system is not the answer to your future. It never will be. Their recession is not our recession. And you need to start saying that right now. Because they're claiming one right, right now. They're claiming a recession, aren't they? Does it have to be yours? We're not defined by their system. We don't have to have their recession. We don't have to have their depression. We don't have to have all of their stuff. He said we're not defined by it. Their limits due to their education, due to their background... That's not our limit. We're free because the Word has made us free. We're free. I mean, they're limited. They can't begin to understand the things of the Spirit. They can't. They don't don't understand what we're talking about. They they think all of this is some kind of uh, foolishness. They think we're morons for believing in in, in what we believe. They think we're idiots. But I tell you, we're going to see the results that the Word will work as long as we stay with it and do not quit. By the way, the devil is counting on you quitting along the way because he knows most people quit. They think that we're the morons, but in the end, they're going to come to us for the answers. In Romans chapter 8, it tells us that the world, the system that contradicts the Word, is groaning 
and awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. They're waiting for you and me to do what we're supposed to do in this world. Waiting for us to be changed from glory to glory. I heard the story about two morons that walked into a bar. I'm not changing the subject. This goes with it. And they each ordered a drink. They went and sat down and started toasting and cheering. And they started saying, 51 days, 51 days. And they toasted and they toasted. In about five more minutes, another moron walks into the bar and orders a drink and joins the other two. And they were cheering, 51 days, 51 days. Finally, a fourth moron came in. And, and he came in what looked like a, a cardboard uh, a picture and, and put it in the middle of the table. And, and, and they started cheering with the others, 51 days, 51 days. And they're also excited. The bartender finally got curious. They walked over to discover that the picture was a picture of the cookie monster. And it was a puzzle. And, and he said, what on earth are you doing? Well, the leader of the morons, he said, everybody thinks we're so stupid, but we have proven them wrong. On the box of this puzzle, it said two to four years, but we finished it in only 51 days. <laughs> Let me just tell you something. The world will never figure it out going through its own system. It will never figure it out. But as the world sees you and I, you and me walking in the victory of God, they'll be at our doorstep awaiting the answers that only the, world of, only the Word of God holds. They'll want to know, how did we get there? How did we do that? So we're going to go from glory to glory while they'll be languishing under the curse of this age. And we've been redeemed from the curse because Jesus became a curse for us. Think about these verses of Scripture that we've read many times over the past few weeks. This is Jesus talking. This is as valid as John 3.16. And you have staked your eternal being on John 3.16, right? We, we, we know that. But here's what he said in John 14, beginning of verse 21. Jesus said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. And Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, thank goodness this wasn't Judas Iscariot, uh, this was uh, Judas Thaddeus. Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. How will you, isn't this interesting, how will you manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus said, I'll move in with you. Isn't that cool? Let me read from the Amplified. The person who has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who really loves me, and whoever really loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, and will show, reveal, manifest myself to him. I will let myself be clearly seen by him, and make myself real to him. That's a great statement. Make myself real to him. Judas, not as scared, ask him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself, make yourself real to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered, if a person really loves me, he will keep my word, obey my teaching, and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home, our abode, our special dwelling place with him. How is he going to manifest himself to us? He's going to be our roommate. He's going to move in, move in with us and, and, and make our world, our home, His home. 
This is good news to me. And we've looked at this passage. I want to talk more about that in a minute. But we've looked at this over this passage over the last many weeks. Christians often say, I love you, Lord. But they say it out of something mental. And even sometimes they say it out of something very emotional. But if we are not doing what the Word says to do, we're not really demonstrating love for Him. Love is not just crying and slobbering and saying, I love you, Jesus. No, it is doing what He said. It's having the Word of God. It is, it, it, it is keeping the Word of God. That's what He said. It, churches are begging for a manifestation of His presence. I've been in the services. I've been one of the beggars. We're begging for His manifestation. And yet, it doesn't say He will manifest Himself if we beg for it. In fact, you and I have no reason to beg God for anything. We're sons and daughters of God. If your children ever begged you for something and you're like, stop it. Don't be begging me. We're His children, begging, in it? I mean, we've seen that loving Jesus isn't merely a matter of telling Him we love Him. It's not a matter of begging. It's a matter of having and keeping the Word. If you want a manifestation, you've got to have it and keep it. Having means to hold or possess. It's talking about personal reception of the Word. Not just memorizing it, owning it. Speaking of, possess, of a possession that is a revelation. Getting in the Word. It's not merely mental, it's a possession in the spirit where I own it. Keeping it means to keep the eyes upon, to treasure it, to obey it, to value, to hold it in high esteem. We ought to have the Word of God in the, as a treasure to us. I'll tell you, there's coming a time when this society isn't going to let you go to the store and buy a Bible. You better keep it in your heart. Be a time when we can't get it on, on the internet. We need to have it in our heart. We need to get the word. We need to, we need to treasure it. Jesus let us know that lo- what, it, what loving him really looks like. Loving Jesus requires obedience, it requires doing the word consistently. Doing the word consistently means you got to know what the word says. More than that, you've got to spend time in the Word enough you begin to think like the Word so you do what it says. It becomes a natural way of life, having the mind renewed. I mean, we're going we're gonna to have to have, have it in our minds. It's talking about transformation that brings the glory of God into manifestation, and we go from glory to glory, and the Scripture says to the perfect will of God. That's where we're all wanting to go. So, Jesus said that He will manifest Himself to us. What does that mean? Do we, if we, we say we want a manifestation of Jesus, but what does that mean? Does that mean we want Jesus to walk in the room tonight in physical, bodily form? I know we're thinking, that'd be cool. Is that what the Scripture really teaches is going to happen? No. No, we're asking Him... 
We're not asking for his flesh to be revealed to us. Romans 10 says this, But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in your heart, Who shall ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above physically. Or who shall descend to the deep? That is to bring Christ up again from the dead bodily. What saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. So the prayer of faith that agrees with the word can't, bring, can't be to bring a manifestation of the Lord bodily in the sense that we have to see him in bodily form. The manifestation of Jesus has to do with the word being in our hearts and in our mouths. It has to do with what we believe. That's pretty good. When I believe what he says, he manifests himself. I've seen him manifest himself in lots of ways, but it's because we believe what the Bible says. Here's what verse 21 says out of the Amplified again. Let me read it to you. And the person who has my commands and keeps them is the one who really loves me, and whoever really loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, and will show, reveal, manifest myself to him. I will let myself be clearly seen by him, and make myself real to him. I want Jesus to be real. Not Jesus of the movies. Not Jesus of religion. I want him to be real to me. He said, when he manifests himself to us, he'll reveal himself to us. He'll show himself to us. He'll be real to us. Real. To to too many Christians, he's not very real. He's some shadowy image of the religion they've become used to. He's the little man on the plus sign. A lady came in the jewelry store and said, hey, I want to buy one of those necklaces, you know, the little T. And I said, well, a cross. And she said, a cross where? Didn't even know what it was. They wanted it to be a T, the little man on the T. It's not real. It's time that we come to know the real Jesus. The one of the Bible. Not the one from Hollywood. You know, the blonde and the blue eyes and the one who's always sad and all this. The real Jesus. The one of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Apostle Paul said, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through the subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. For he that cometh, for he that cometh preaches, for if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we've not preached, or if you've received another spirit which you've not received, or another gospel which you've not accepted, you might well bear with him. We don't want another Jesus. We don't want the complicated Jesus of religion. We don't want the complicated Jesus of the world that says to us, if you were a real Christian, you would. It's amazing to me that the world tells me what it's like to be a real Christian and they don't even know him. Another Jesus. Paul isn't talking about one that's complicated. He's talking about clearly seeing the one of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
the real one. I mean, this is the Jesus that lifts people up and never puts them down. Can't read one passage of Scripture where it says, and Jesus threw him down. You can find some that say, and Jesus lifted him up. Because that's who Jesus is. I preached a sermon one time called Jesus is a Lifter. And I pointed out all the times in the New Testament where Jesus lifted people up. And I couldn't find anywhere he put them down. That's the Jesus I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Jesus that heals all. You can't find a time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John where somebody came to Jesus to be healed and he said, I'm sorry, I can't do that one. Not one time. Now, I'm talking about the Jesus of the Bible, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the one who will never change, the one he said, I will not, I will not, I will not, I will not ever forsake you or let go of you. That's the Jesus of the Bible, the one, the one that, 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 that is seated at the Father's right hand in glory and in splendor the one raised from the dead who sits at the right hand of authority, the one in whom we sit tonight, the Jesus of the Bible. I mean, he is the one. That's, who we, that's, that's the Jesus. Jesus wants to be real to us. He does not like to play religion. Doesn't like it. Not into it. You know how I know that? The religious people of his day hated him. By the way, the religious people of our day hate this Jesus I'm talking about. They want him to fit in some box that they can control. They don't want anything <laughs> to get out of control. We need things to be neat in order, but we don't boss him around. He's Jesus. He's Jesus. I mean, he, he's real. He's as real as the breath we breathe. He's as real as the person to your right hand and to your left hand. He's real. I mean, the only way we come to the place of that reality is to have and to keep His Word. That's how we're going to know Him. Because He looks like the Word. He does what the Word says He does. I mean, we're going to have to possess it for ourselves. We're going to have to treasure it. I mean, we need to love Him in that way. I'm not talking about being religious and mean. I'm talking about taking the Word and making it my own and submitting to whatever He says. Some people who know a lot about the Bible are mean. You get that, right? They're just all about religious rules. I'm talking about knowing Him. What did He do in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? In verse 33, the Amplified says, I read it a minute ago, but Jesus answered, if a person really loves me, he will keep my word, obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home, our abode, our special dwelling place with him. The Message Bible says, Because of a loveless world, Jesus said, Because a loveless world is a sightless world. If anyone loves me, he will carefully keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we'll move right into the neighborhood. We want Jesus to manifest himself. When he does, he manifests himself by moving in with us. He comes to live with us. I mean, he wants to stay with us. He makes his abode with us. He makes his abode with us. 
He moves His dwelling place into our dwelling place. Isn't that great? I mean, maybe, maybe the word abode means a staying, a residence. Jesus will take up residence right in the middle of our lives when we have and we keep His Word. Just having it and keeping it. The, let me tell you something. The best way to know somebody is to live with them. Right? If you live with them, you'll know all about them. I mean, you'll know everything about them. I mean, I've counseled people about marriage, and I always talk about the engagement is the interview process. And when that's over, you get the real deal. Because you can do anything for a little while, but when they get married, I mean, I've known some. They get married, and they turn into a different human being because the interview is over. you got to live with them. I mean, when you, after you get married, you see the manifestation of more than just that little pretty girl you were dating. You find out a lot about them. When we really get to know Jesus, He moves in. And here's something that's cool. I remember whenever, whenever I, I was a bachelor, I lived with these, these guys, and, and uh, this one guy moved in, and he became our new roommate. And so there were three of us living in this apartment, and he had a great stereo. Guess which stereo we used? The great one. One guy had a great toaster and kitchen stuff. Guess whose kitchen stuff we used? The good, the guy with the good stuff. Jesus moves in and he brings the good stuff with him and we get to use his stuff. We get to use his mercy, his forgiveness, his kindness, his justification. He brings his stuff into our house and we use that. That's what we get to do because we get to know Him. I mean, we get the best stuff when Jesus moves in. We have a new roommate. He wants to be more than just the Lord up in heaven a far ways off. He wants to be your roomie. He wants to live right there with you every single day. He and the Father. This is the best news I've heard in a long time. He wants to live with us. Think about this passage of Scripture. <coughs> And I'll be through here in just a minute. This is in John chapter 1, beginning of verse 35. It says, And again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Well, that would have been a great day to be John's disciple. I mean, behold the Lamb of God. I would have been one of these two guys. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. It's like, see you, John. That's the Lamb of God. We're following Him. And this is funny. I want you to think about this. They're following Jesus. He is walking by. They're following Jesus. He doesn't even know these guys. They're following Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following. And He said to them, What seek ye? <laughs> Get the picture. They're following Him. He said, what are y'all looking for? What do y'all want? They're following him. Their answer is hilarious to me. They said, Rabbi, which is being to say being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? Where do you live? We need a roommate. We need somebody to take us to the next step. We need somebody. And he said, 
come and see. And they came and they saw and they dwelt and abode with him for that day for it was about the tenth hour. This is a fantastic passage of Scripture. We're looking for a manifestation of Jesus. We want Jesus to be real to us. In this disciples, we see these, these, these guys, they're looking for the place that Jesus lives. They want a closer encounter with Jesus. And then Jesus says, the first two words that we need to have and to keep. He says, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? In, in my hermeneutics class, that went through all these laws of Scripture. One of the laws of Scripture is the first mention. And this doesn't exactly apply to this, but almost. First mention means the first time something's mentioned in the Scripture, it's usually that way throughout the Scripture. For example, the number 13, the first time it's mentioned, has to do with rebellion. And so after that, every time that number is mentioned in the Scripture, it has to do with rebellion. First thing Jesus said in the Gospel of John, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? What a great question. What are you looking for? And they said, where do you live? <laughs> they answered this question with a question. Where do you stay? Where's your residence? Where is your abode? It's the same as we've been reading in John 14, 23, that he will make his abode with us. They said, where do you live? We, that, that, here they are, we like them, they want to know where Jesus abides. They want the Lamb of God to be real to them. They want it to be more than just religion. He says, what are you looking for? I think he's asking you and I the same question tonight. What are you looking for? Here's my answer, Jesus. Tammy and I are looking for a new, another roommate. We want you to live with us. We want you to make your abode with us. We want you to live at our house. I mean, we don't want religion. We hate religion. Because that's just trying to do good so that God will be pleased with me. We want you. We want you to come and make your, make, your, make your home with us. The angel on Easter Sunday morning, the first one, he asked Mary and the women, he said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Who are you looking for? What are you looking for? Are you looking for the living one in a cemetery? Do you think Jesus is going to be still here? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Mary and her, and her friends were looking for a dead Jesus. One that was no longer able to do anything. One that no longer had miracles. One that no longer could deliver them and rescue them. That's what they were looking for. We're not looking for that Jesus. Religion is looking for that one. The one who's still on the cross the one who's still in the grave, the one who does nothing for mankind. That's not the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's, we're looking for the real one that will come and live with us. Listen, most, most churches won't admit it, but they're looking for one that is no longer Jesus of the Bible. They're looking for one that's powerless. What are we looking for? Here's what I'm looking for. I believe we're look, all looking for it. The real one. Jesus, we want you to be our roommate. We want you to move into our place and we want you to bring all your good stuff and we want to have your word. We want to hold your word. We want to own it. We want to do it.
Jesus, we love you enough to open that up to you. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We thank you tonight for the Jesus that still heals, still delivers, still rescues, still lifts people out of their bondage, still makes us free. Father, tonight we honor you for your word. We want to be people who are doers of it, people who treasure it and own it. I thank you tonight, Lord, in the marvelous name of Jesus. Amen.